Praise the Lord. Look how awesome this congregation is this morning. Would you look at somebody to the right side of you and tell them that they're highly favored and blessed of God? Would you tell them they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Would you let them know that you love them, affirm them, build them up in the faith? Hallelujah. The Lord is so good. The Lord is so wonderful. We're going to be turning to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 15 that we had last week. And while they're turning there, I was sitting over there on the front pew and it was like the Lord just spoke into my spirit and he said that there's somebody here today that the years of the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust and all that that Joe talks about, how it destroys and how it robs and how it kills and how it takes away from people's lives. He said, just to remind you that though there's somebody here that's got family trauma and you're just in a terrible place and your hopes and your dreams have been crushed, but the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you that the years that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust and all that is destroyed, he's going to restore it for you. Hallelujah. He's bringing it back together. You can count on that word this morning. I don't know who you are, but the Lord knows who you are. He knows right where you're sitting, and he wants you to know that which the enemy has stowed from you, God's about to bring it all back together again. Give the Lord praise for that word for somebody here today. Hallelujah. I love the Lord. Don't you? I love the Lord and his promises. Second <clears throat> Kings chapter 2. I hope they can put it up because I, my Bible's over there, but it's no good this morning because I forgot my glasses. Hallelujah. But we'll read it off of the board. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel come forth to Elisha and said unto him, knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, yeah, I know it, hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And the Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. <clears throat> and Elijah took his mantle wrapped it together, smoked the waters, and they were divided hither and thither so that the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee. Behold, I, have, I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. <clears throat> and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And he took also up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither and Elisha went over. 
<clears throat> and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah does rest upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Chuck Richardson, would you ask the Lord's anointing on the word, please? Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to start where we left off last Sunday on the subject of the double portion. Last Sunday we talked about the double portion of the believer. Here in our text it was Elisha wanting the double portion of the spirit that was upon his master teacher Elijah. And for those of us that are saved we know what the double portion is known as. It is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and it is the same spirit that empowered in Jesus and anointed him in his earthly ministry. We know this according to Acts 10 and 38 when the Bible says how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Jesus himself said in the book of Luke chapter four starting with verse 18, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to preach to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And matter of fact, in John chapter three, verse 34, the Bible tells us that God gave the spirit without measure unto Jesus Christ. And last Sunday we talked about in order to get the Holy Spirit baptized as believers, or the double portion some would call it, one has to stay a little bit closer. As Elisha had to stay close to his master teacher Elijah, even so you and I, that was the message last week, we have to stay a little bit closer to our master teacher Jesus Christ. How many knows you got to stay close to Christ in order to have the full benefits of his provision? Amen? Draw nigh unto him and he'll draw nigh unto you according to the word of the Lord. But today I want to talk to you a little about you also have to go a little bit farther. Not only do you have to to stay a little bit closer, but you got to be willing to go a little bit farther. I will have to admit that I've witnessed over the 30 years of my ministry people getting frustrated and discouraged when it comes to seeking for what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I will also have to admit that sometimes the process can be difficult. It can be hard because of our humanity. A lot of times it is our personality that gets in the way and God has to work through our humanity in order for us to come to that place of yielding to where you and I can receive what he wants us to have in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There are many that do grow weary in well-doing, and yet the Bible tells us specifically, he says, be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. We either, if we faint, we won't receive, but if we'll hang in there, we'll receive. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, but without faith, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have to understand this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a thing of faith and we cannot get weary in well-doing in seeking for what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, I also know the roadblocks and the frustrations that originated from our own human tendencies and our own personalities that God has to work through that after we finally work through them and we come to that place of surrenderance and we come to that place of yielding, after we receive the Holy Spirit, we think, what in the world made that so hard? It was the most easiest thing that ever happens in 
your life. It is so natural. It's so wonderful and it's so beautiful. There's one thing for sure and that is you will never be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not willing to go further than the crowd. Let me tell you, don't always follow the crowd because you may not like where they lead you. Can I have an amen? The influences around you, the voices that's next to you, and the examples that surround you must not set the course or hold you back from your passion to receive. Your passion must be stronger than the resistance and the forces that's against you to receive the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, your passion has to be stronger than the suffering that you will acquire as you begin to go into this process seeking the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You must be willing to go as far as you have to in order that you might obtain. How bad do you really want this is the question. You must be willing to go further than the crowd. As we said last Sunday, there were 50 other prophets that heard the same news that Elisha heard but chose to stand afore off when it came to receiving the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, they say that only 10 out of uh, out of 50 people nowadays in spirit-filled churches are actually being baptized in the Holy Spirit according to statistics. And they say only one out of uh, one out of 50 is receiving in non-spiritual churches. That is an insult to Pentecost. It is a sad day when spirit-filled churches can no longer see the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon his people. I want to ask the palace to pray something. Are we Pentecostal? And do we believe in Pentecost? And do we still believe in the thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you say amen, clap your hands and give the Lord praise, signifying you still believe in it. Amen. We're not ashamed of this thing called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're not, in, we're not ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit. We're not ashamed of prophecy and interpretation of tongues and, and tongues and diverse kinds of tongues and workings of miracles and the gifts of the administrative gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and things of that nature. We still believe that they're effective for today, necessary for today, and we still believe that every single one of us can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be used of God to further the kingdom of God and to bring glory to his holy name. If you believe that, give him another applause for the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm about to get happy. But when you examine the road that Elisha had to take, you will find that it was long and it was an audacious task for him. The road was long, hard, and it was filled with all kinds of pitfalls. And this would even there would even be those who would oppose his going and that would actually follow him from a distance to just kind of sometimes be a thorn in your side. Have you ever noticed that when you really get hungry to seek the Lord, that there's always somebody or something that's there as a thorn in your side to bring resistance to what you desire and what you want, whether it be a demon or whether it be a devil or whether it be in the form of an individual or whether it be in the form of a family member or whatever. There's always hindrances and hurdles for you and I to have to fight in order to obtain that which God has for us. It was a lonely road for Elisha. It was one that he had to travel alone. And let me say this, when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know it is between you and God. Man cannot fill you with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we come into our Pentecostal circles and we want some kind of a magic wand to fall upon us or somebody to lay hands upon us or somebody to come over and give us a word of prophecy and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what Matthew 3 and 11 says? John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after I, who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to lash, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Let me tell you who the baptizer is in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ himself. And in order for you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have to come to know Jesus Christ. 
you have to seek Jesus Christ. He is the one that will fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be done by an evangelist. It's not going to be done by a prophet. It's not going to be done by the hand of an apostle or a pastor or a preacher. It's going to be done by Jesus Christ himself. And when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it it can become quite a lonely place because there are not many that will follow you where you're going and do what you're willing to do in order to obtain it. We have to stay the course and quit waiting for everyone else to respond with you. I want to tell you, it's a road that you have to travel alone. There are times that we always want the people around us that we love to go with us, but let me tell you, that is not always the case. And matter of fact, I have found out in my life that the things that I want the most when I begin to pursue them, the people that are with me and by my side are the ones that are resistant to me because they're not willing to follow where I'm willing to go. And so therefore, this thing is a thing that you have to make up your mind. I'm going with or without my friends and I am going to be filled with the Holy Spirit today and I'm going to let God empower me with the power of the Holy Spirit and give me his fresh anointing. If you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning, would you just lift your hand and say, God, do it again. Do it one more time. Let the Holy Spirit fall upon me today. Hallelujah. You know, there are times that you have to leave the crowds and quit doing what everyone else is doing. There is a price to pay. There is a self to deny. And matter of fact, while everyone else is caught up in the tangible and the, in the physical world, yet you and I are going to have to have a passion for the spiritual world. We're going to have to have a passion for spiritual things. There are times that you have to step away, set yourself apart, go the distance that no one else is willing to go. While everyone else is doing their thing, they're caught up in what we call the cares of life. They're up in the hustle and bustle. They're coming, they're going, they're doing. They're just busy. They're busy with life and they have no time for the things of the Spirit. Yet we have to dare to be different and we have to set ourselves apart if we want the thing called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And even though there were times when Elijah seemed to test Elisha, yet Elijah down deep wanted Elisha to follow him all the way to the end because he wanted him to have the double portion. Elijah knew that Elisha had to follow him by choice. And this thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a thing of a will. It's a thing of a decision and a choice that you and I have to make. It is a mindset. I want this. I got to have this. I desire this. This is biblical. This is real. It is there for me. It is scriptural. Therefore, if it's scriptural, everything that God has promised for me in scripture, I must have it. I must want it. I must desire it. And we can have it through Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Even as Elijah cannot make Elisha go, yet even so God, will not make us seek the path that leads to the double portion. He will not violate your will. He will not violate your free choice. This thing has to be a thing of our will and of our desire and our devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be a passion. I love him. I've set my affection upon him and I cannot be denied. I want everything that God has for me. The first place that you will have you have to be willing to go is through Bethel. Verse two says, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry here I pray thee, For the Lord has sent me to Bethel, and Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now remember, Elisha already knew that the only way to receive the double portion is to stay close to Elijah. And if Elijah's taken, when Elijah's taken out, if he's seen him go up, then he would receive this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about how that Jesus has already ascended. He's already went up. He's already gave gifts unto men. He's already poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we all know that the Holy Spirit is for us and our children, our 
children's children, even to them that are afar off, that the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit is here to give to, give to every individual one because Jesus has already ascended. Can I have an amen? So we understand that. But Elisha knew, I can't depart. And Elijah comes by and tests him. He wants to see how bad Elisha really wants it. He said, hey, I've been called to go down to Bethel. Why don't you stay here? And, and then I'm going to go on down to what God wants me to do. He said, not so. Even as my soul liveth and even as you, you liveth, I'm not going to depart from you. So he followed him. The path that leads to the way of the double portion goes through this thing called Bethel. Bethel was the place of the house of God. As a matter of fact, the word Bethel means house of God. That's the name of it. And it was also the place that Jacob dreamed of a ladder reaching heaven and angels descending and ascending upon it. It was a meeting place with God about heavenly things. And let me tell you, this thing called the Holy Spirit is a heavenly thing. Can I have an amen? Jesus said, if I depart, I will send the comforter to you. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, as the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place and one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Did you hear where it came from? The Holy Spirit is heaven's sent agent. Can I have an amen? He is the one, the paraclete, that comes alongside to help us in our time of need. And here we see that in the house of God is a place that is a staircase to heaven. It's a stair place to heavenly activity. Did you know right now as we are gathered together, the promise is this, where two or three are gathered together in his name that he would be in our midst. Do you not understand that as we gather together as a common people, as assembly of the saints, that there's a promise scripturally that heavenly things are taking place right here in this very building. I may not be able to always see it. Spirit may not always be able to detect it, but I'm here to tell you that there's heavenly activity taking place right here in the house of God. It's at the house of God that a ladder is set down where angels are descending and ascending, messengers of God coming down. Right now, if your eyes could be open like Elisha's was on the day that the, he was surrounded by the enemy, and when his servant came in and his eyes was open, he's seen horses and chariots of fire spiritually round about Elisha. And can I tell you right now, if you could open your eyes, you'd be amazed at the spirit beings that's in this place right now because God has sent his angels and God has sent his Holy Spirit. There's heavenly activity. There's heavenly anointing in the house of God. Can I have an amen? Oh, it's here right now as we are gathered together. And can I tell you, even though one can be filled without, with the Holy Spirit without being in, in, in the church, yet one cannot be filled with the Spirit without the influence and the commitment to the church. It was at Bethel that Abraham built the first altar. And it was he, here he invoked the name of the Lord according to the book of Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. Bethel was one of the first places that the Ark of the Covenant was set up, which was the abiding presence of God according to Judges 28. And it was the first meeting place in Scripture. God loves the church and God loves Bethel. And when one goes to Bethel, they are committed to what God loves. That's why that David said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you give the Lord applause for being in the assembly of the saints together? Amen. As a matter of fact, it was at Bethel that Elisha receives information concerning what to do and how to receive this thing called the Holy Spirit. It's where he gets instruction and revelation, edification, affirmation, information, inspiration, and impartation. Do you not understand that when we come to the house of God, it's a place of revelation, it's a place of information, it's a place of, it's a place of affirmation where we affirm one another, it's a place of edification, it's a place of information, it's a place of inspiration, it's a place of impartation. Who would want to miss the 
house of God. Things happen in the house of God that happens nowhere else. Can I have an amen? There's something special. The house of God is the, is the actual vehicle or the tool that God governs his people by. It's the house of God that sets in order things in the spirit realm. And God's got his own entity. God's got his own organization that he rules by, and it's called the church of the living God. And when a person is outside of the church, he's outside of the order of God. Can I have an Amen. The church is the vehicle that God uses. It's the place of the assemblies of the saints. It's a place of instruction and knowledge. It's a place designed to meet with God. Aren't you glad that we can meet with God here this morning? More people are filled with the Holy Spirit in the church than anywhere else. Did you hear me? Elijah knew that if the double portion of the Spirit was to be given to Elisha, he had to go by the way of Bethel. To folks, let me tell you, it's still a New Testament teaching that it's important to be committed to the attendance of the house of God. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I'm gonna give a prophetic word. A spiritual church will gather more, not less. We're living in a time when they've done away with Sunday nights. They've done away with Wednesday nights. They've done away with Saturday night prayer meetings. They've done away, they've done away. And now we have a glorified church that only comes together on a Sunday morning and then they have all the other time for themselves. I'm here to tell you the Bible tells us that when we see that day approaching, the second coming of Christ, and we see the last days approaching upon us, it's not a time to quit forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we need to gather more and more and more than we we've ever gathered before as people of God. We have to have the attendance to the house of God. People experience God more at church than any other places in their life. The greatest blessings I've ever received. I've received some great blessings at home. I've received great blessings in different places. But I want to tell you 90% of all of my blessings and revelation and everything come by the way of the church. You must be willing to go farther than just treating the church casually. I, I'm amazed uh, that people aren't just flocking into the churches in America for, and feeling it from the front to the back. Did you know America is one of the only few nations in the world that the church feels from the back to the front? Everywhere else in the third world countries, when you go to church, you got to get there early because it feels from the front back because they want to get close to the presence of God. You can say whatever you want to say, but I'm here to tell you the closer you get to the stage, it isn't that there's more power up here, but there's less distractions from the pulpit by sitting on the front row than the back row. There's, there's less things clamoring for your attention by you sitting close. And let me tell you, there is a different level of the presence of God that you feel and sense as you gather in close to God. It is a symbol. It is something about you saying, I'm hungry. We'll go to a concert and we'll run in and the first thing we want to do is run to the first seats. We'll go to a ball game. We want to sit on the front seats. We'll go to whatever kind of worldly activity and the thing that we want to do, we'll fight for the front seats. Some people will even pay extra money, hundreds of dollars extra for a front seat. Well, let me tell you, God wants you to have a front seat in the house of God. God wants you to come in with an anticipation and a holy expectation and he wants you to come in saying, God, I am after you like a deer panteth after the water, but my soul thirsteth after you. God, I'm hungry. God, I want you. God, I desire. I want to draw near to you. I want to get as close as I can to you. I want to get up front to where there's no distractions in my life. Can I have an amen? We gotta get that hungry. We gotta get that reverent. We must reverence the house of God we, and be faithful to the house of God. But do we even know what reverence is? I looked up the word reverence, reverence, just to make sure I knew what it meant. It means deep respect. 
It means honor. It means to have regard. It means to look at it as sacred. Do you not understand what we're doing here this morning is a sacred event? It's sacred. It's set apart. It's holy. Oh, hallelujah. We can't just treat the presence of God any, or, any ordinary way like we treat everything else and treat him as common. He's holy. He's righteous. He's almighty. He's omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. Can I have an amen? And when we come in, there needs to be due respect and honor and reverence to the Spirit of God. Can I have an amen? However, even in the house of God, you're going to find opposition. The Bible says in verse 3, And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou not that the Lord would take the master from thy head today? He said, Yeah, I know. Hold your peace. Now notice something. Here at Bethel, you'll find that not all will be happy with you seeking the Holy Spirit. All won't celebrate your passion with you. So, so often, we'll see that men and women a lot of time will try to rob us from making a total commitment to Jesus Christ. There will always be those who dwell in God's house who don't want you to succeed because your success reveals to them their failure. Can I have an amen? They will distract you. They will try to get your attention on other things. They'll try to get you involved in the things that they're involved in, and they'll just keep you so busy, so distracted, that where you won't excel and outgrow them. The prophets of Bethel attempted to bring Elisha down to their level of commitment. They said, why are you following Elijah? Don't you know he's a has-been and that God's finished with him? He's soon to be taken away. In other words, they're saying, don't you know he's an outdated prophet? Don't you know that was for back then and not now? Hello? And yet when it comes to this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are people that will literally water down the doctrine of the, oh, that was for them back then. That's not for, you even have whole churches teaching, oh, that was just for the early church. That was just for the apostles. That, I beg to differ. It's for everybody that wants it. You can have it here this morning. It's not an outdated method. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is still just as much alive and well today as he was on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost is here today. Can I have an amen? And when one sells out and becomes a radical Christian, it makes others feel inferior. And it actually challenges them to where they're at spiritually and they become a resistance instead of someone that brings affirmation or edification to you. They wanted to point out that what Elisha was doing wasn't profitable because the old man was fixing to be taken out of the way and following him was stupid. He's fixing to be gone. What kind of prophet's that going to help you? What kind of prophet's that going to help you? And that's the problem with the church. Too many people are looking what they can have instead of what God wants them to have. It's all about themselves. And these people were saying, what prophet is the old man? Well, I want to tell you something. Elisha seemed prophet in doing what he was doing. There will be influences and voices even in the church that will try to pull you away from going the distance. Matter of fact, they'll fight for your attention. You know what else they'll try to do? They'll try to get you involved in things that will disqualify you for the Holy Spirit. Through their activity, through their behavior, they'll do things that, that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And they'll do things that, that will cause you to not to be able to have the favor of God upon your life. And if you've got friends that are clamoring for your attention and trying to pull you away from your passion to set your affection upon the things of God and not on the things of the earth, then you need to change friends. Can I have an amen? You need to go the distance and say, I've got to separate myself from these people that are hindering me and clamoring after my attention and trying to get me to settle for something second best for my life. However, Elisha, when he hears their voices, he tells them, hey, shut up. 
I'm not listening to you. He didn't let those voices influence him, but he was willing to go against the crowd so that he could receive this thing called the double portion. He turned a deaf ear to the, their distractions, their temptation, and he refused to become complacent with them. We also see that Elisha had to face the place of Jericho on his journey to this thing called the double portion. This is symbolic of what you will experience as you seek the double portion of the Holy Spirit baptism. Jericho was a city that was very much safe and it was very much pleasurable. There was a lot of distractions there in Jericho. There was the sweet aroma. They said that there was more bakeries in Jericho than any other thing. There was the sweet aroma of the baked bread and the bakery products as they'd put them out on the windowsills to cool and they would sell them. There was plentiness of supply of food, water, fellowship, and every other desire known to man was there for the taking. There was a city full of entertainment. It was a city full of amusements. And there was temptation constantly in this city. But the number one temptation to the believer was the temptation temptation of comfort. Jericho was a good place, a place of comfort, a place where the prophets chose to spend most of their time in their days of learning. These prophets were actually known and the prophet, the prophets in Jericho was known as the prophet of ease. They liked the easy life. They refused to travel the road less traveled, but landed in the place of the multitude. They liked the modern conveniences around them. And this is symbolic of finding good, the good life and being happy or content where you're at. It's like the two and a half tribes that wanted to settle on this side of Jordan. They had, they had come to the Jordan River and they looked at Joshua and said, you go over and you possess your promise. You go get the covenantal blessings upon your life. We really don't want it. We don't want the promise. We don't want the land that flows with milk and honey. We want to stay on this side of the Jordan because it's a well-watered plain. There's much water here. There's good grazing ground. It's a good green pastures for our cattle. Everything that we desire is on this side. And yet they were willing to forfeit the Canaan land, the land of promise, the land that flowed with milk and honey for what? Second best. They wanted a life of ease. You know why they didn't want to go over and cross Jordan? Because they didn't want to have to fight the giants that stood between them and the promise. And there are a lot of Christians that come into the house of God and they're just satisfied and content where they're at. They don't want no more than what they've got. They just come in and they settle. They settle for mediocrity. They settle for the life of ease. They settle for the life of comfort. But let me tell you, that's not the place. Woe unto them that are in the ease in Zion. In the church is what the Lord said. I'm here to tell you that it's time that the church understand the need, the necessity for a refreshing of the presence of God and a refreshing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm so hungry for revival. I'm so hungry for a move of God. I want to hear one more time the Pentecostal sound of a Russian mighty wind filling the house of God with the Spirit of the living Lord. Can I have an amen? We cannot settle. Those that settled at Jericho, they justified themselves by their position as a prophet and their schooling. They justified their means by their title. I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. And you'll hear people all the time, I'm a Christian, I don't need all that other stuff. I'm a Christian, I'm saved. They'll use their title for what? To justify their means. These are like people who go to college and get a degree but never do anything with it. It's like people that get saved but never want to do anything for their salvation, for the kingdom of God. Can I have an amen? There's nothing wrong with being content in the blessings of God, but there's a lot wrong not desiring to walk in a deeper knowledge and encounter with God. And there's very much wrong with not having a desire to reach out of your place of comfort to receive a double portion because it's called lukewarmness. As you seek for the double portion, you will fight the opposition in the form of also temptation, not only comfort. We cannot afford to get complacent. 
We can't afford to get too comfortable. We must continue on the journey and leave the comfort, safety, and familiarity of our environment and step out in faith lest we're lulled to sleep and we're robbed of the double portion in the church. You will never experience the power of the double portion if you're never willing to step out of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable at times to receive the Holy Spirit. It's a place of wrestling. It's a place of warring. It's a place of struggle. It's a place of faith, trust, and devotion. It's a place of opposition. It's a place of temptation. All kinds of things will run through your mind as you seek the presence of God. Silly things. The devil will bring up your past. He's an accuser of the brother. He'll bring up things that you've done 20 years ago. But all you got to do is say, buddy, I don't remember them anymore because they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let me tell you, he'll bring up things like when you seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he'll say, yes, you're down at an altar somewhere seeking the Lord. This is what he'll do. Did you turn off the stove at the house? The yard needs mowing. Come on. Did I pay that bill last? Every stupid thing in your mind will run through your mind as you try to seek for the Lord. It's a place of war. However, again, the prophet of Elisha tells them to hold your peace. I'm not listening to your influence. I'm not listening to the clamoring of your voices. He said, I'm going to follow the Elijah to wherever he's going. The next place and the final place is the journey will lead you to Jordan. Verse 6 says, and Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And the two of them men went together. Jordan means the descender. It means to actually go down. Jordan was the place of the church in the Old Testament that was baptized in the sea. It was actually meant the church going down or the church bring, being brought to humility. It means a watering place. It signifies death. You remember when God actually baptized Israel in the Red Sea? The last leg of the journey of Elisha with Elijah is the one that all, always precedes what we call this baptism of the Holy Spirit at Jordan. In order to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to learn to surrender. You have to learn to yield. In this case, you have to learn how to die. We must die out to our own desires, our own dreams, our own ambitions, and our own plans. It is here where we have to lay down our life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord will water us or fill us with the Holy Spirit because Matthew 5 and 6 is blessed. Are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness? For they shall be filled. There are so many that never get this far. Do you remember? There were 50 that followed a four off. And they watched. They were curious. They wanted to see it, but they didn't want to experience it. Elisha was the only one that experienced it out of all of those 50 people. And you know what happened when Elisha got the mantle of Elijah and he come up to the water hole and he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters. And when he walked across, all of a sudden, the Bible says, and the, 40, the 50 other prophets that stood afore off said, the spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha and they bowed themselves to the ground in front of him because they reverenced what he had on their life. So many get so close, but they never really go all the way. Like Naaman, he wanted to be healed, but he despised Jordan. There are so many people despising this place called Jordan. So many desire, despise Jordan because it's a place of death. It's a place of dying out to yourself. And yet Jesus said, he that tries to find his life, he's gonna lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Did you notice everything's always backwards with Christ? The Bible says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Many want to be filled, but they don't want to die out. They don't want to go the distance. They don't want to have to sacrifice themselves. And let me tell you, you'll never get filled with the Holy Spirit until your desire becomes God's desire for your life. 
Until you come to the place where it's no longer I've got all these ambitions, I've got all these goals, I've got all these dreams, I've got all these things that I want. You've got to come to the place of Psalms 37 when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean unto your own understandings. That's in Proverbs, but he goes on, he says, but trust in the Lord, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says that literally that when I begin to delight in him and I begin to love him and I begin to worship him, all of a sudden my my desires fade away, my ambitions fade away, my agenda fades away, my goals fade away, the things that I want in life begins to fade away and what happens, God begins to plant new desires in my heart. It's his desires being manifested inside of me and then when I get done, the Bible says seek ye the Lord first and his kingdom and all these other things that you've ever wanted or ever desired or ever wanted to have, these things shall be added unto you. If I'll die out to my desire, it is a full evidence that I'll get what I want. It's until we come to the place that we're so hungry for the Lord. The 21st century church in America has lost their hunger and their passion for the presence of God. They've lost their respect. Nowadays, we wear shirts that says, no fear. And yet the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Can I have an amen? We're coming to a place where there's no holy reverence to the presence of the Lord. We treat him so casually. We just kind of sit back and be Christians and have the title. Because I'm a Christian, I'm on my way to heaven. But we never want to offer him anything for the kingdom of God anymore. And what we've got to do is become heavenly minded, kingdom minded, instead of self minded. And until we get that passion to become more like him, God, I got to have you. God, I got to want you. I want you. Nothing is more important than you right now, God. I have found out in my life the very things that I've sacrificed in my life for the ministry. There's ambitions I wanted as a young man. I had to give them up because of the ministry. There's things that I would like to do. I am finding out that everything that my heart ever longed for, some of them were not good for me, and I'm glad that I never even had the chance to fulfill that desire. But some of the things that were wholesome and good for my life, Louise, I've not lost them. They're coming back to me a hundredfold, 60-fold, and 30-fold. When I have sold myself out to the Lord, when I found Christ, I found life. Can I have an amen? But the modern-day church of America is don't bother me. Don't challenge me. Let me just come in. Let me feel comfortable. Let's just have a matter of fact, the churches are gearing around comfort. Have you not seen that in America? Don't preach anything that might be a little bit challenging because you might run people away. Don't, don't preach anything that might, you know, spark a little bit of, uh, uh, of d- d- indifference to a person. Don't, don't make them feel uncomfortable. Preach happy thoughts. Well, I want to tell you, there's nothing more happier than being in the presence of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, walking around seeing miracles and signs and wonders and letting God, being in the fog, the favor of God, wherever, where you go, God blesses your rising up and God blesses your lying down. He blesses your going out. He blesses your coming in and you're not no longer the tail, but you're the head. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with prophets coming down and bowing at your feet and reverencing you as a man of God. There's nothing more important than that. I want to tell you, there's favor when you can take up a mantle of God and go up to a river and smite it and the waters depart and you you can call down fire and you can raise people from the dead and you can heal people of leprosy. Let me tell you, there's nothing more favorable than having the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And yet the church is promised to have these things. Would you stand with me, please? Oh, hallelujah. 
last Sunday, I just started this little series on the Holy Spirit. I'll be preaching on it tonight. We want you to come out. Last Sunday, I just said, those of you that really want it, those of you, make a commitment with me. And everybody that, that would, would you come? And y'all all came up. I got testimonies this week. Just the beginning stages of a commitment. There were people filled with the Holy Spirit last Sunday morning just standing here for the first time in their life. Hallelujah. One woman told me, she said, I came up and I was standing in the crowd and the presence of God was so strong upon me. She said, I could not contain myself. And she said, I didn't even, she didn't even know much about the Holy Spirit or anything like that. And she said, I just started lifting my hands and before long, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what happened to me. I was speaking in an unknown tongue. The Holy Spirit just filled her and she said, it's the most glorious experience I've ever experienced in my life. And yet others, we have to seek because we wrestle with our humanity and because of our personality traits and our flaws inside of us, God sometimes has to work with us through a process. So not only do you have to stay close to the master teacher Jesus, not only do you have to be willing to go a little bit further, but you gotta be willing to stay the course, stay as long as it takes to get it. Be like the woman with the issue of blood. You've got to press through multitudes and voices and, and temptations and all of these, these things that clamor for our attention that will try to stop us from receiving this thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a simple message this morning. It's not hard. It's not deep. The simplicity of the gospel has power in it. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and even if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need refreshing. The people of the upper room, 120, was refilled back in the book of Acts chapter 3 and 4. 4. They had another encounter with the Holy Spirit and another encounter. We need refreshing. We need renewing of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why, but God has told me that he's going to start pouring out his spirit like an abundance in our church. He's, he spoke me that, but he's only going to do it to the people that are hungry. He's not going to do it to the lukewarm because he's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. It's got to be a thing of devotion to him. It's got to be a thing saying, I'm willing to set myself apart. God, I want this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll come up here and we'll seek and we'll have all these preconceived ideas of what's going to happen to us. And we're fearful and we're reserved because we don't want to act a fool and we don't want to jerk and we don't want to fall down and we don't want to do all. That, that is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's manifestations of God's blessings. Quit putting it in your mind and fabricating in your mind what it will be like. You don't have any idea what it will be like. It comes to everybody differently. There's not an A, B, C, D, E, F, G formula that we can go by. God knows your makeup. He knows your DNA. He knows how to get your attention. He knows how to walk you through this process. And he knows how to feel you with his Holy Spirit. He's the baptizer. If you're hungry this morning and you want a refreshing of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to come. I'm just giving you an invitation.